Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those that are with us on a live stream as well. Um, I will say that for those that are on live stream, we are going to be taking communion at the end of service. So if you want to go and gather the elements, you can go and do that so you can um, partake in communion with us this morning. Um, For those that don't know me, my name is Nikki Nickerson. I am the youth pastor here, and I'm excited um, to be just sharing with you in our second week of our sermon series, Finishing Well. Um, We started our sermon series last week, and Carl explored the question of, what does it mean to finish well? What does that look like? And he explored the passage in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25 through 33, where Jesus talks about pursuing the kingdom of God and to not worry about the things of life. And the other thing that we have to remember that Carl talked about with finishing well is that there's three parts to life, youth, adulthood, and the third third of life. And when we think about finishing well, a lot of the times we think about that third third of life. Well, obviously, like Carl, I am not in my third third of life. I am in my last month of pregnancy, and I want to finish that well, (laughs) Um, but I am not in my third third. But in order for us to finish well, we have to start now. We can't start in that third third of life. We have to establish these things so that we can finish well. And we have to do that now. And the conclusion that Carl came to was this. To finish well means to resist the worries of life by listening to the voice of God. And so this morning, I want to focus on this question. How do we pursue well? If we know what finishing well looks like, how are we going to pursue this? What kind of practices and what kinds of things are we going to do to help us? Well, there was one observation that I made as I was preparing for this, and it's this. We're not in control. We are not in control. And Carl had sent out a survey um, asking a bunch of different people, when you think about finishing well, what comes to mind, or what observations do you make, or passages, or things like that? And every single person talked about this concept of how we are not in control. And these are some of the things that they said. Learning to trust him more, to give up the illusions that say we are in control. Recognize you really have very little control over your life. You are not in control. God is in control. God shows us how little control we have over life. And so much is beyond what you can't control. I think that there is a general consensus here that we're not in control. Can we, can we all agree that we aren't in control of our lives? We aren't in control. And I don't know about you, but that makes me really uncomfortable. I like to be in control. I like to be in control of the circumstances and the situations that are around me. And I like to know what is coming. I like to know how to plan, the to-do list, like all of those things. 
And it's just like this comfort thing for me to be in control. Anyone else, anyone else there? I was like, oh yeah, I like, I like this. But what I've realized as I have been in these eight months of pregnancy is I am not in control. There's no set manual book. There's no set instructions on being pregnant. Yes, there are books. Yes, you get advice from people whether you want it or not. Um, you have a bunch of different articles and from your doctors and all of these things that it's like, well, at week 20, this is going to happen and then you're gonna have all of these symptoms and then this. It's like, really? I just, I just talked to my friend who is and she doesn't have any of that and I've got like 10 more than this actually said. I don't have any control over that. And it's scary to not have that kind of control. Because we're also given a due date of when baby is born, he's due April 20th. But again, you know, the doctor's like, but since it's your first, it's probably gonna be late. Okay, Bree's kid, she was a day early. I don't get this. I don't have any control over any of this. I do, but I don't. And it's hard and it's scary and I don't like it. I don't. But through these last eight months, I've learned to trust more. I've learned to ask for help more, which doesn't come naturally, and I'm still working on it, ask Ben. There are still days where I think I can still do all of the things, and I probably shouldn't. <laughs> and I see, but what I see is that giving up this control isn't giving up my power. It's not giving up my independence. It's not that. What it is, is I'm surrendering myself. I'm releasing my worries and my anxieties and laying them at the feet of Jesus and saying, I'm not gonna worry about this because you're in control of this situation. You're in control of all of these things even if I have no control over it. Because as believers, we're called to trust God. We're called to lean not on our own understanding because worry stems from the need and the desire to control things. And that goes against the thing that Carl was talking about last week and what Jesus taught us. We're supposed to resist the worries of life. We're supposed to resist those things. And yet as we control, we're only saying, you know what, I'm gonna worry about all this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take action. Instead of like, okay, I'm gonna listen to your voice, God. I'm gonna surrender these things, I'm gonna release these things. Because when we try to take control of the situations around us, we're not listening to the voice of God because we're taking matters into our own hands. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. Maybe you feel a little out of control and unsure how to gain control of your life because perhaps for too long you've listened to the voices in your head rather than stopping to listen to the voice of God. Rather than resisting those worries, you give in to them. So then what can we do to gain control and what can we do to pursue well what are some practices that we can help implement into our life 
to help us pursue well. And I want to suggest three practices this morning in order for us to increase our connection to hearing his voice. And the first one is an attitude of gratitude. I can't help but say it with like attitude, where it's like attitude of gratitude. Like it's a very cliche saying, right? We've all heard this saying, but it's the first practice we want to implement in our life when we're pursuing well. The root word for gratitude in Latin is gratuitous, which means pleasing, thankful, welcome, or agreeable. So in simple, gratitude means a state of thankfulness or a state of being grateful. Now, gratitude is real easy for all of us, right? We grew up and our mom and our dad raised us to say our pleases and our thank yous. But were we doing it simply because we were told to do it? Or because we actually believed that we were grateful for things? What was our heart and what were our intentions when we were grateful? Because gratitude is the human way of acknowledging the good things of life. And there are a lot of scientific and psychological studies out there that show that gratitude affects our brains. It affects our mental and emotional well-being. And when we finish well, when we're pursuing well, we want to be people who are holistically healthy. And one way we do that is by focusing on gratitude to help our mental health. It's, it's this powerful human emotion that can alter our brains and it can help us change our viewpoint and our outlook. And it actually forces us to focus on the positive aspects of life. But gratitude, gratitude is a choice. It does not come naturally. We have to choose in those moments to be grateful. It's a choice. And if we fail to choose gratitude, by default, we choose ingratitude. And I'm sure that we've all been on that receiving end of ingratitude, and it stings and it hurts. Because ingratitude says, I don't see you. I don't recognize you. I don't see your success, your effort, your sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but that hurts. And more often than not, we focus on those negative ingratitude moments rather than gratitude. And it can affect our minds. It can affect the way that we think about the other person, about ourselves. And so we have to choose gratitude. Because a lot of the times, the emotion that gets paired with ingratitude is arrogance. Arrogance and ingratitude sometimes live underneath the same rock. And arrogant people are generally ungrateful people, and ungrateful people can come across as arrogant. Maybe you've experienced that. 
Or maybe you've been there, yeah. How, how does that look in your life? Because when we have ingratitude, it, it steals our joy. It's, it's a hindering block in our life. And in my experience, it's easier to ask God for something than to give thanks. Right, sometimes we think about God as a vending machine where we put in a request, we type in the number, and we're like, all right, thanks for that, thanks for that. And then we put in another request. Because maybe the pleases are, they seem more urgent than the thank yous. Oh, please, can I have this? Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. But what about the thank you? What about the deeper part that's going on inside of your heart? Because you might ask God for a positive health result or relief from anxiety, provision for financial needs, or strength to get through a day. And don't get me wrong, he wants to hear our requests. He wants us to come to him to give us that relief. But at the same time, we have to praise him. We have to be grateful for the things that he has done. Make it a point that Thanksgiving is on your lips as often as you give a request to him. Because not only is gratitude glorifying to God, it's a reminder of his faithfulness in the past and it lightens your burdened heart. Because saying thank you recalls what has already been given. Paul wrote this in his letter to the church of Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we give our requests, are we doing it with a thankful heart and all the things and the joy and the trials and everything? Are we having an attitude, a heart of gratitude? Or is expressing your gratitude difficult for you? Are you more comfortable pointing out how something could have been better rather than recognizing how good it is? Which is it? Um, Nancy DeMoss, she wrote this about gratitude. Gratitude is a lifestyle, a hard-fought, grace-infused, biblical lifestyle. Are we making gratitude a lifestyle? Are we pursuing that? Because for me, gratitude sometimes feels like an admission of weakness. I actually have to go ask someone to help me that I can't do everything and I can't get through life on my own. Oh, and I have to be grateful for that help and then I actually have to go express that gratitude. Talk about a dose of humility and surrender. That's hard. Because when you take a look in the rear of your mirror, There's going to be dozens of people who have helped you along the way. 
who should help you along the way. And acknowledging them and their role in your life, it is not a weakness. It's a sign of maturity. Because gratitude is evidence that you have life and that you're listening to the voice of God. Are you embracing a heart of gratitude? And are you making this a part of your lifestyle? The next practice I want to talk about and how we are pursuing well is acceptance. Which when we think about acceptance, there's a lot of connotations that come with that word. Maybe you think about acceptance onto a sports team or acceptance to the work field that you want, acceptance into the theater program that you want, acceptance into a friend group, which can you tell me, youth pastor, all of the examples are, all I could think of was for students, so that's what you guys get this morning. But the kind of acceptance I'm talking about is none of those things. The kind of acceptance I'm talking about is the acceptance of who you are and who God has created you to be. Simply put, it's our identity. Are we celebrating in the gift mix that God has given us to bless others with? Or are we comparing ourselves to everybody else around us and the things that they have? And we're not very grateful for what it is that God has given us. As Christ followers, our identity is found in Christ, but sometimes we forget about that identity. We end up chasing after meaningless earthly possessions to go find ourselves. We go on these explorations and, well, if, if I just had the talent of this person, or if I just had the attitude of this person, then I would be a better person. Then I could be, I could accept myself. Hold on. God created you to be you. He didn't create you to be your friend, anything like that. You are a unique individual. And when we look around, we start to compare ourselves to others and what they have. Being the youngest of three girls, I did this with my two older sisters. I would often look at them and I'm like, oh, they're smarter than me. Oh, they've had friends longer than me. Oh, they only dated one person and then married him. So apparently I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. I, I didn't accept me for me for a very long time because I kept comparing myself to my sisters and to those around me. And perhaps that's you, where you look around and you're like, oh, if only I had a bigger car. Or maybe if I had a, a job that got me more money, I could do this. Or perhaps if I was kinder like this person or more patient like this person, you fill in the blanks. Maybe then I'll accept myself. And maybe then others will accept me. But Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. It's the thief of joy. 
Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't celebrate with others in their gift mix and what they have. That's a good, beautiful thing for us to do. But when you start to look at other people and think, oh, what they have is so much better than what I have. In a way, this might seem harsh, but in a way, we're telling our creator that we're not good enough and he's the one who created us. God didn't make any mistakes when he created you. Because comparison steals us away from satisfaction with our own life, from being grateful for what God has blessed us with. We see one thing in a person that shows us how we would like to be, and we make an instant assessment of comparison. But the psalmist wrote, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that the gift mix that you have been given is what you were supposed to be given? Do you embrace that? Do you accept that? Do you celebrate in that? Or are you still comparing yourself to everybody else around you? Because you are his masterpiece and you are wonderful. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made in his eyes. And at our core, we're people pleasers. We try to please others by the things that we do. We try to love and serve and care for and honor everyone we come into contact with. It's true that Jesus loved people well and that's what we should strive to do and that's what we should strive to follow in his example. But hear hear this. The very honest truth is this. You cannot control what other people think about you. You cannot. No matter how hard you try to love people, someone is still going to get angry at you. Someone is still going to misunderstand you. Or gossip about you or dislike you. And you're never going to be able to please all the people in your life. So stop trying to be somebody else. Stop comparing yourself and accept who it is that God has made you to be. Right? You can still love those people, but you can't live to please them. You can't. You must be yourself because you were made exactly the way you were meant to be. And that means letting go of this kind of control. Just releasing it and letting it go. Because wanting control over how people feel about you gives the power to their thoughts about you. Their side comments can become your truth and your definition if you let them. When I think about this, I think about Elsa from Frozen and the song Let It Go. Right? I'm sure we can all sing it. Maybe if we have nieces or nephews or grand, grandkids, children of our own, we might know the hand motions or have dances to it. I don't know. But here, 
Elsa is trying to figure out her power and her ability and she's been suppressing it for so long and it's not until she lets it go, she embraces her true identity, embraces herself, that she's able to be free, that she surrenders to that. So are we letting go? Are we surrendering ourselves and accepting and embracing who it is that God has created us to be? Because what voices are speaking loudest to you? Which voices are you going to believe? Because God doesn't make any mistakes. He made me to be a headstrong, independent woman, which is good, but at times I probably need a dose of humility and allow other people into my life to help me. But he might have made you to be funny or quiet, smart, silly, brave, friendly. However he made you, do not sacrifice those things to control whether someone likes you or not. Jesus did it and he doesn't. He sees you for you. Because as we sing this morning, you are a child of God. There is a place for you. You are chosen, you are beloved, you are his son, you are his daughter, and you are cherished more than you can know. Do you believe that? Do you accept that? Because don't allow other people's thoughts about you to become the truth about you. Are you going to believe what other people and culture tell you? Or are you going to accept the identity and that you are a child of God? Now, as we practice having an attitude of gratitude, as we accept and embrace our identity as children of God, we have to do this in community and in fellowship with one another. We create lasting friendships to help us get through life because being in community is a vital part to us thriving and growing. It's a place where we feel like we should belong, where we can embrace our identity and we can go to those people in whatever circumstance and they can call us out and they can help us. In Proverbs, we read, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you have those friends that can sharpen you? Who can help us rub off the hard edges and who honestly have our best interests in mind? Even if it's a harsh word, even if it's a hard truth, they're still going to be your friend through it all. Because it helps to know that these people care about us and that they have a genuine interest in helping us improve and in helping us grow. Who are those people for you? Who are the people that are going to never leave your side no matter what happens? Because the practice of Christian community makes the gospel a lived reality. It embodies a specific personal way of life together in Christ. And it strengthens us. It strengthens us to live the life which we are called. I think of the song from Toy Story that Randy Newman wrote in 1994. 
um, You've Got a Friend in Me, which I'm sure we can all sing along, but I'm gonna spare you because I cannot sing and I will only embarrass myself and you guys might get up and leave. So um, I'm gonna read through these lyrics. This is what he wrote. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said. Boy, you've got a friend in me. You got troubles, I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and see it through. And as the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're gonna see it's our destiny. You've got a friend in me. Do you have those kinds of friends in your life? that are gonna stick by your side through the thick and the thin? Do you have the friends that are full of depth, authenticity, trust, and faithfulness? Who are your people in your life? Last week, one of your action, your move actions was to write down your worries with someone. Did you do that? I'll admit I didn't do that. Probably should have, but I didn't. So I'd encourage you this week, go and share with a friend what those worries are, what those anxieties are, and how you're going to resist them to listen to the voice of God. And when I think about finishing well, and when I think about community and developing this heart of gratitude and embracing who it is, that I am created to be. I think of my mentor, um, Minnie Gay Hubbard, Minnie Grace Hubbard. Um, Everyone in her life, um, close family and friends, they called her gay. And um, gay was uh, a mentor and a friend to me. Um, When my dad was in college, um, Gay was one of his psychology professors. And one of the huge reasons why 35 years later, my dad is still a psychology professor. He, that's not the path he was gonna go on, but Gay saw potential in him and became a, a mother figure to my dad. My dad grew up in the foster care system and Gay was like a mom to him, and in turn became like a grandmother to me. And growing up, um, our family, every summer we would go to Kansas, where she and her husband had moved, and this is where I learned to fish, where we would catch frogs, um, just get covered head to toe in the mud out back. Um, We would lay in the field, watch the stars, but the thing that I remember about her was playing piano with her. She was a phenomenal pianist. And she and I would have duets together. She was always curious what song I was gonna be doing at my next recital and how it was going. She always found that piece of me that sometimes I didn't believe in. 
or I'd be in the kitchen and help her make bread or go shuck corn with her. I was always there with her, and she was always by my side. And throughout college, um, she had moved back to Colorado, and all throughout college, about once a month, I would drive down from Greeley, and we'd have subway lunches together and just talk about life. I'd bring in other friends, and she was just so good. Being a counselor, she was so good at seeing us for us. But she would never flat out say, hey, go do this. Right? We have those friends, those mentors that give us advice but still allow us to make those choices. And every Christmas, we, my family and I, we'd gather around the dinner table in her home, and she'd always ask, what's the Price family up to? Where have you seen God move in your life over this last year? And the thing that I remember about her is that she always focused on how we were being a blessing to other people. How, how are you using your gifts? How are you doing what it is that God has called you to do to bless other people in your life? It was never about us. It was never about her. And um, she was one of my biggest advocates, one of my biggest voices in becoming a pastor. Um, Being a female is not easy when you are pursuing um, going to seminary and being a pastor. It's not easy. But she was always there right by my side. And the thing I always remember that she told me was, you go prove them wrong, Miss Nikki. You're a wonderful pastor and don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. And that's the thing that I will always remember about her. Because two years ago, she passed away. She never got to see me graduate seminary. But I know that she'd be proud of the things that I'd accomplished. Um, She always believed in me. She always knew I had the skills and the abilities and the gift mix to do these things. She would have turned 91 this Wednesday. And so I, I like to think that she's, you know, looking on. And as I'm talking to my dad about this, he said, she would be so proud of you for the things you have accomplished. And so should you. And so I pray that I can be like her every day to seek out the voice of God as I pursue well to finish well. May we all have these kinds of people in our life who can help us have these attitudes of gratitude and to accept us for us. I pray that you have those kinds of people who can help you finish well to pursue well. And this week as we go about our week, I want to offer up three different practices for us as as we pursue well. And the first one is um, to make a gratitude list. Since it's cut off, I guess you guys only have to make half of a gratitude list. (laughs) Um, Doesn't mean that you need to be half grateful for things. Um, But write down what you are grateful for in this season. 
Because again, having a heart and, um, of gratitude can affect our mental well-being and our emotional well-being. The second thing I would say is write down the qualities about yourself that make you uniquely you. What is the gift mix that God has given you with? And finally, go share it with a trusted friend. Share those worries with them as well. Put that in there. Go have coffee with them. Because if we want to finish well, we need to resist the worries of life. And we need to focus on how we can listen to his voice amidst everything else. And a direct expression of what we've been talking about this morning is communion. Communion is a communal act, and when we do it together, we come to the table broken. We come as one before him. And so let me read this as we enter into a time of communion. He was always the guest. In the homes of Peter and Jairus, Martha and Mary, Joanna and Susanna, he was always the guest. At the meal table of the wealthy where he pled the case of the poor, he was always the guest. Upsetting polite company, befriending isolated people, welcoming the stranger, he was always the guest. But here at this table, he's the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be fed by him. Those who would wash his feet must first let him make them clean. But for this table, where God intends us to be nourished, this is the time when Christ can make us new. So come, you who are hunger, who hunger and thirst, for a deeper faith, for a better life, for a fairer world. Jesus Christ, who has sat at our tables, now invites us to be guests at his. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink of it, remember, do it in remembrance of me. And so during this last song of response, there are tables set up that you can come forward to his table where you can receive. And so may you come this morning.